0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Strantz here live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or our in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. The hotline is brought to you by dispatch, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning. The first call the only call, Producer Dom, in the process of getting Batch on the hotline. He'll be able to join us uh, momentarily here on the show. Keep your text coming in as well. 650-650 again is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, we will get into some of them later on in the show. But we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline where we are joined by the play-by-play voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor. Batch, what's going on, man?
1: Not too much. How are you guys?
0: Uh, we're doing well. I am uh, i don't know about you, but I'm very, very excited to get the post-All-Star break schedule going for the Canucks, of course, with the way the team is playing. Then they go out and make the Lindholm trade. Uh, it should just be a really fun couple of months of hockey here leading in to the playoffs. What are you most curious about? You know, Not just tomorrow against Carolina or, or this road trip, but just in general, from the Canucks over the final 33 games, what has you most curious about this team?
1: Yeah, I think the most interesting thing, at least for me, is going to be what Rick Talkett does with the pieces he now has, including Elias Lindholm. And, you know, we've seen based on their practices, both yesterday and today, how they're going to start, we expect anyway, against the Hurricanes tomorrow. But how does that develop? How does that flesh out? Does Lindholm stay with Pedersen? Does the lotto line go back together? Uh, does Lindholm end up in the middle or does he play on the wing? You know, uh, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that he was on the the net front on the power play at practice today too. So is that a spot where he could find a home? Is he a better fit in the bumper? And, you know, that's really what this last stretch of the season is for me with you know, the the way they've played to this point of the year, the position they've put themselves in. And sure, there's going to be interesting races for them in terms of trying to, you know, fend off teams like the Oilers and remain atop the division and, you know, a, a race with Winnipeg potentially for first in the conference or potentially first in the league. And those are all going to be compelling storylines down the stretch. But really, at this point, everything that they do from here on in is about preparing them to do as well as they can once the games start in the postseason uh, in late April. So that's kind of the lens that I'm looking at the rest of the season through is the, the tweaking they do now, the, the work they put in, the things they try to fix and, and get right so that they can be ready to roll come April 20th or whenever it's going to be when the postseason starts.
0: You know, looking how they lined up these last couple of days in rally, and rallying, look, as you say, there's tons of options that it has, so we could see a bunch of different iterations of this lineup over the next couple of months here. But with Pedersen skating between McKayev and Lindholm, I mean, that's three players who have been very good defensively in their NHL careers traditionally. And, you know, typically it's been Miller and Besser taking on those matchup roles, but do you think it's, it's maybe time or an opportunity at least to give that Pedersen, McKay of Lindholm trio a chance as the first choice matchup line now? Uh,
1: I think there is an opportunity to do that. I'll be interested to see whether Rick Talkett agrees and takes that opportunity because I think, um, you know, uh, I think this anyway, and I know Drance does. I'm not sure if you agree, Jamie, but I think Pedersen is the guy that they should be using in a matchup role down the middle, uh, just because of his, his two-way profile and the consistency with which he's been able to execute at both ends of the ice. And what was always preventing that with the lineup, you know, set up the way it is now, except with Lindholm in for Kuzmenko was Kuzmenko. And the fact that Rick Talkett didn't trust him defensively and, didn't trust him in terms of of key minutes and key situations. Well, now you've got Elias Lindholm, who you have to imagine the head coach is going to trust or at least give him those opportunities early on. And, you know, why wouldn't he? He's got a a much better track record at the NHL level than Kuzmenko had, certainly, and is a guy that, you know, you think fits in much better in terms of that line now having an identity. I don't really know if I could have given you a, an identity for the Mikheyev-Kuzmenko-Petterson line, but I have an idea of the identity of uh, Petterson-Lindholm-Mikheyev line, which is to be hard to play against, to be smart defensively, to be able to limit the the teams that they're playing against and the lines that they're deployed against. And then, you know, Mikheyev brings you speed and forechecking ability, and Lindholm and Patterson can can do the rest in terms of generating the offense. So um, that that's going to be another fascinating part of this is not just how they deploy those lines. And that's more of a longer term thing, because I think we know how he's going to deploy them in the short term in terms of who's on which line, but then how he deploys them in terms of who gets the tough matchup minutes, who does he want to put out there against, you know, the opponent's top line. And to be perfectly honest, that's a question that we're not going to be able to answer effectively until they come home from the road trip, because when you're away from home, you don't have the last change. It's the other coach Mm. that dictates those matchups. And that's going to be an interesting part of this too, is what matchups do opposing coaches try to chase? Do they want their top line against the Pedersen line with Lindholm? Do they want it against the Miller line with Besser? And to be perfectly honest, if I was an opposing head coach, I don't want my top line out against either of those lines. And that speaks to the benefit of adding Lindholm in the trade and, and the you know trickle-down effect that it has, not just by adding a good player, but in terms of the one-two punch that you have in your top six.
2: Batch, where do you think it went wrong for Andre Kuzmenko this season? And do you think there's a level, like, what, what do you expect from him, to, from him in Calgary?
1: Yeah, well, where it went wrong, I think, is that the, the standards and expectations of this organization – him by like he he fit in well last year under Bruce Boudreau in a, a part of the season where the team was not doing well and um, was essentially out of the playoff race and so he got more rope and he got more leash and and used it very effectively and look he was a very effective offensive player last season and he lost some of that this year whether it was because of confidence whether it was because he was trying to focus so much on rounding out his game to the, the way that Talkett wanted them to play, that he, you know, wasn't focusing on the things that made him successful offensively. But that's sort of how I look at it, is that things changed very quickly for the team from being sort of, a you know, bottom feeder's not, not necessarily fair, but from being a team that would just have been happy to sneak into the playoffs to now being a team that considers itself a contender and wants to go on a deep run and contend to win the Stanley Cup. And for a player, you know, in his sophomore season, and oftentimes guys struggle in their second season in the league to have the expectations around him change that drastically, I think was hard for him to adapt to in terms of elevating his own game, the way that many others around him were able to. Um, Now he goes to Calgary and it's kind of a similar fit to what the Canucks were like last year, where, you know, Now that they've made the Lindholm trade, we expect them to probably sell a little bit more. So there are going to be some other key pieces that will depart. And he's going to get a chance to play, and he's probably going to have a longer leash. And it's not going to be so much about, you know, you know, you made that turnover, you didn't get the puck out, so now you're sitting for the rest of the game. He's going to have that opportunity to regain some of that offensive confidence. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him have a a good stretch run here with the Calgary Flames in terms of, his personal production, but this is kind of the thing that many people in the Canucks organization alluded to. And it's going to be interesting to follow Kuzmenko's career beyond this season is look, he put up a lot of points on a team that wasn't very good. Can he fit into the mix for a team that is good? And it's clear that at least this season, he couldn't when it came to the Canucks,
2: I'm going to give you a scenario. And then I'm going to ask you, how the market will react to this hypothetical scenario if it plays out <laughs> this way, right? <clears throat> okay. okay. So Canucks add Lindholm, and it makes them meaningfully better, but the shooting percentage regression that they should be due to hit at some point, given that no one ever shoots 13% forever, does sort of hit. Goals are a little bit harder to come by. You know, they're still, they're still winning games, but not at the same rate that they were in the first half, and Kuzmenko finds his groove down the stretch, in Calgary, will the market be able to understand that, or will we see the backseat driving? Uh, both.
1: I mean, I, I think, <laughs> and that's kind of a—that's a cop-out answer. But it's Vancouver, right? Like we always had, like the 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 Benning Bros on one side and the draftists on the other side, right? Like there's always going to be consternation and disagreement in this market, especially when it comes to trades. So. You know, yes. If if the Canucks uh, are are more average than they have been, let's say down the stretch, and Kuzmenko goes to Calgary and lights it up, there will be segments of the fan base that will criticize management that will say the Canucks lost the trade. That will say if they had been more patient with Kuzmenko, then he would have broken out for them. And there will be people in the fan base that I think anyway will more reasonably understand that. You know, it, it wasn't about short-term performance. This kind of move, it was about you know ability to win games as a team, not if one guy can produce more than the other, or you know if the team has a regression to the mean in terms of shooting percentage and results as a result. Because Dranter, like going back as far as I can remember this market has always argued about this team and had people on both sides. So I don't see why it should change now. What I would hope though, in that hypothetical scenario is that people understand that, um, that, that if that happens, it's not a reflection of Kuzmenko leaving and Lindholm coming in or anything like that.
0: I think the other thing is you're you're right. People are always going to find something to argue about and disagree about. And that's fine. Like that's what, what makes it fun to talk about the team and be a sports fan and be a, be a Canucks fan. But it also, okay, we're going to do that for the next couple of months, but really it's going to matter what happens in the playoffs. And that's what sets this year apart from recent years is even if they do have, you know, scuffle a little bit here after they get Lindholm and Kuzmenko's filling the net for Calgary, that's all going to be forgotten if they win, you know, at least a round in the playoffs, right?
1: Oh, exactly. But that's, that's part of why I think that debate, again, in this hypothetical scenario, because it's entirely possible that Lindholm actually gives the sure. a boost. And even though they have a shooting percentage regression, potentially, they still win a lot of games. Like, this is still a team that hasn't lost three games in a row all year long. And, you know, I I guess we'll see if that happens here over the final 30-plus games. Um, But you're right. I think those conversations fill the time while we're all waiting for this team to get to the playoffs. And, And it's, you know, that's ultimately regardless of what side of these arguments you fall on everybody's in the same camp that they want this team to have success and they want it to have success when it matters so if you lose i don't know if you go 500 out of the all-star break the rest of the way but you win the stanley cup nobody's (laughs) gonna care that you went 500 after the all-star break or even if you win a round or two or three right like that it's all about the playoffs now in this market and that's a great place to be in because it's not somewhere we've been for quite a while.
0: What do you think? I, I was listening to, uh, to Halford and Bruff this morning and Bruff was making the point kind of tongue in cheek, but also a little serious. You know, one of his concerns with this team is actually that it has been such an incredibly positive season. They haven't had to really fight through any adversity. And he pointed to, you know, Boston last year, you go back to Tampa's yeah. incredible record setting season and they go out in the first round, are you buying that or because I also look at it as like one, this team hasn't had any shortage of, of uh, adversity over the last couple of years, but also, you know, they're still playing for something, which is the division and the conference. So it's not as if they can just throw it into cruise control for the next couple of months here.
1: Well, and Rick talk. won't let them either. Right. Like yeah. he always talks about earning your day and what you've accomplished in the past. Doesn't mean anything. It's about what you're doing today and, and how you're preparing yourself going forward. Um, adversity I think could be good because here's the thing is you are going to face it in a playoff series at some point, right? It's not just going to be, I mean, you know, maybe for some teams it would be, but it's not reasonable to expect 16 straight wins and four sweeps on the way to a Stanley cup. So you are going to have to deal with losing an important game. You are going to have to deal potentially with being down in a series and having to overcome that. Um, The one thing I will say is, like there has been what would be like micro adversities this year. Like you look at how they were playing going into the all-star break and the fact that they had to come from behind in a couple of games in a row to earn points. You know, that to me is, is a sign that this team, you know, can overcome situations at least in game where they don't play well and put themselves in a tough spot, but find a way to, get it done anyway. So those are the kind of things that that give me confidence, but you know, in terms of greater adversity, yeah, like how do you respond if you do lose three games in a row? Well, if you don't, you know, if you don't go all season without losing three games in a row and then suddenly you find yourself down 3-1 in a series and you need to win three games in a row, how do you deal with that? How does how does that sort of impact the way that you respond? when the games really matter. And, you know, I'm of two minds on this and and you could talk to former players and they'll give you both perspectives on this, but there's always talk that, you know, teams need to learn how to lose in the playoffs before they can win. And so part of me says, you know, yeah, the Canucks, you know, you'd like them to have success in the playoffs this year, but part of this year is about learning and growing for this young core that outside of the bubble has not played in the national hockey league playoffs. And then the other side of that coin is that, because they don't have that experience, they don't know any better. And that gives them a, an opportunity on other teams that maybe do have baggage from past playoff failures, like the Edmonton Oilers or the LA Kings, as examples. So, um, you know, this is what's going to be fascinating about it, is we're all going to find out, and we're all going to find out together. But, um, you know, that's that's the the thing that I take away from this most of all, is Regardless of, of how things go in the postseason, it is about the postseason again. And, and it's great to you know, be talking about all of these conversations yeah. in that sort of context rather in the context of, you know, well, Kuzmenko's having a great stretch run here in games that don't matter. What are things going to be like for him next year and how is he going to fit in? We're talking about the here and now and what's going to happen this season.
2: I love Dr. Batch. Uh, prescribing that the Canucks make like Michael Buble at the All-Star Game and micro-dose some, um, <laughs> some adversity here.
1: Yeah, micro-adversities. There you go. Micro-adversities.
2: <laughs> micro, micro adversities. Um, Batch, JT Miller in the bumper today at practice. At least that's his starting point. Again, lots of movement. Uh, I was telling Jamie and our audience that Rick it was very excited by the amount of movement on the power play today. Like, lots of Audible, like, yeah, yes, good, let's go. Like, he was very excited (laughs) as the Canucks were moving around. But, you know, Miller starting out in the bumper spot. I don't – have we ever seen that?
1: I can't think of it. Like, it's always been either the net front or the shooting presence, right? Right. Whether it's on one half wall or the other. And I I like it on the face of it initially because – Of all of the players on that power play, with the exception of Lindholm, because I haven't seen how he's going to fit in with this group yet, he's the most willing to just shoot the puck. And I think when this power play struggles, it's because they overpass and overthink and don't just grip it and rip it. And if there's one thing that JT Miller can do and will do, if he gets looks in the bumper spot, is he'll fire pucks on net. He'll make the opposing goaltender make a save or, or he'll create some chaos at the net front by getting pucks to the net, as opposed to Patterson, who is a little more tentative, waits for his spots. And when he does pick his spots, he picks them very effectively in most cases. Um, and Hughes, who, you know, when he finds that lane down the left wing wall is a, a tremendous shooting threat. But other than that is, you know, more effective on the power play by his distribution and, and being the quarterback of things. So we'll see how it works. Again, we'll see how long it lasts. The fact that, you know, there's lots of rotation means that Miller may not be in the bumper very often. But if he does find himself there, I like that because I think he's the kind of guy that is going to create shooting chances for being in the middle of the ice.
2: The Canucks make it to March, let's say, 3rd, and they haven't made a trade but they've got this newfound cap space created from actually saving money against the cap in the Lindholm deal. And they're looking around just, just thinking about what to add. Would you prioritize additional forward size or additional defensive help? Additional
1: defensive help. Uh, Like with, without a doubt, just because, In the event that they have injuries at forward, I have faith in some of the guys in Abbotsford and the way that they have played this year, that they could at least come up and and fill in in a pinch if you need them to. But as we've seen in past years, especially in Vancouver, you can never have enough defensemen. You can always use more. And we saw earlier this season, before they acquired Zadorov when Susie went out, like, by far their, their toughest stretch of the season. And like, I, I sort of chuckle calling it a tough stretch. Cause it was still a, a 500 stretch was when they had to have Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman in the lineup together on a nightly basis. And, you know, to Juleson's credit, I think he's elevated his game a lot since that stretch and, and has become a, a much more valuable part of the blue line, but you need more defensive help. You need another guy in there that, that you trust to go in, in the event of injury and do a job for you on a third pairing and you know would forward size be nice absolutely it would like there you know could you add another top six winger sure you could I don't know where you're finding the cap space to do that like every team in the NHL is imperfect Mm -hmm. but I will take the way this forward group is currently constructed over you know not a lack of depth on the blue line but just again, you can always have more defensemen. And, you know, we haven't even seen Christian Molannon play at the NHL level yet this year. So he could be an option uh, if that were to happen, but I just want more defensemen. I want as many of them as you can get. And that's what I would prioritize if I were this management group. And you're only looking to utilize the cap space you have before the deadline, rather than maybe making a bigger move, which I'm not willing to rule out because it's Jim Rutherford. And we've seen Patrick Alvin, uh be a gunslinger to this point. So, um, you know, I think the Lindholm trade is probably the biggest move they're going to make for the deadline, but I will not say it for sure, and I would not put money on it either.
0: Can you imagine if they just did another even bigger move? That would be fantastic! Wow, I love, I love that. Um, but be you're right for our line of work. It would be very good for our line of work. There's no doubt about that. Don't rule it out. Batch, appreciate it, man. Uh, really looking forward to chatting hockey with you uh, as we get closer to the playoffs here. It should be fun sounds good let's do it thank you that is the voice of the canucks brendan bachelor um what do you make of the uh canucks haven't faced any adversity concern brought up by bruff on the morning show drance
2: yeah i mean i think he's right
0: so i think i when i look at the the two like canonical examples of this right are boston last year and then tampa in 2019 right like record setting seasons incredible years
2: but but i don't see why we're talking about it in general i don't I guess the reason I buy it is I don't see it in general terms. I don't see it as being like Boston last year. Boston okay. had like a third had like a 25 point cushion Well, that's what I was just going to say. That's point. why I think it's different. Tampa Bay lost how many games? Like 10, 11 yeah. games all year. Like for me it's not about that. For me it's that this like this group in particular, we've seen them Run through like 56 games or the bubble or, you know, January and February of, of 2020 where they get rolling and they can keep it rolling downhill. Like the character of this group is it when things are going their way, I think they have enough talent that they can m- make a meal of it. Right. We've seen it like we've seen it over multiple half seasons, 36 game stretches, like somewhat repeatedly over the course of the past four or five years. What what we haven't seen is this team like take a body blow, mm-hmm. like get staggered, and then recover. Now, if you want to argue that that's what happened when they were going 500 in November, I-, I have some time for that, right? Like that, hey, actually, that stretch maybe should have been worse, but this team showed resilience during that stretch to scrape some points. Like, I'll actually think I actually think that's a fair read, but you know, that's still the side of this group that we haven't seen, like to, to sustain the key injury, have to change the way you play and do it successfully, right. To, to be without a starter a start it, star starting goaltender and like not make excuses, just like lean on your defensive structure and figure out how to scrape, um, scrape some points away. Um, you know, that's sort of something we just, you know, that that's been sort of the, the, the problem in the starts, From this team in the past like things get rolling against them and things keep rolling against them Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the overall volatile profile of this of this core group has been when things go well they can make a meal of it when things go badly they can't arrest it in time you know so so i do think that part hasn't been tested and for me it's not about hockey history or something nebulous like oh well boston like for me it's more about what we've seen over multiple years from a group even as we should note, like, hey, this group of stars has way better support now, right? Uh, this group of stars seems way more organized and more, way more disciplined in terms of how they're coached, in terms of the accountability um, that we actually, like, can witness. Like, we can see it when guys get benched, when guys' ice time um, changes. So, you know, there's reasons, too, to not worry about this at all. But I, I do think it's at least, if, if you're a worrywart Canucks fan like Jason Bruff, I think it's a fair <laughs> thing to note.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... First of all, I want to be clear because I was bringing Boston and Tampa up because I don't think it's applicable. Yeah, no, no, sorry. Yeah, I just they wanted to. Do they were free. Take. They were free and clear. <laughs> they were free and clear in their conference yes. race, right? So they didn't have anything meaningful to play to play for. And I think in their cases, that was the much bigger thing than not facing adversity, right? It's that you're in coast mode for like three months or more going into the playoffs, and it's just really hard to flip that switch. I don't think that's the situation the Canucks are going to find themselves in. I do wonder, you know, as you point out, okay, maybe you could say. It was that 500 stretch. I mean, it's interesting because if you prevent yourself from going for a slot, going through a real slump, like you don't get to face that adversity. But you prevented yourself because you were resilient. You know what I mean? And and found a way to go 500 in that stretch. I think the closest you could find in this season would actually be after the Philly and Tampa games on the first road trip of the year, right? Because you beat Edmonton twice, you lay an egg against Philly, talk is really upset, right? You know, they'd only won two games at that point, so there's all this concern like, oh boy, was that just a mirage? Here we go again. You lose again to Tampa, uh, and then you finish up that road trip with a couple of wins, and you really don't look back After it, like that's probably the moment where the season was truly closest to unraveling and they were able to arrest it. Now, look, that's a two game slump, right? So it's not exactly (laughs) major adversity, but that's probably the thing that fits the mold the most.
2: Yeah, you're right. And I mean, that was an impressive stretch, like the the Philadelphia thing and then the Tampa Bay thing. Those felt really familiar, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that they bounced back and put in. I mean the Florida game. I think the Florida that, game was on it.
0: That was on a knife's edge.
2: That was on a knife's edge. But then Nashville, St. Louis, and then the stretch—they reel off seven wins, including you know some really really strong team performances, including the in the shootout loss uh, against the Rangers. Right. Um, that was the start of something. So, you know, I again, fair enough. Like if you want to say that that was adversity and the Canucks overcame it, I, I also think if you want to say in November that was adversity and the Canucks overcame it. I'm not going to argue with you because I think it's a, a semantic argument. You know, like I think that's a fair spin. But, you know, over, overall, if you still have some minor concerns, like has this team really been tested with some of the gut-wrenching stuff that can happen over the course of a long season, you know, I, I think that's valid. Like, that's just my my basic view of it.
0: All right. Producer Dom is uh, is blown his top over Losing here. Losing his He's mind. He's absolutely furious that we're on the air at 12.58. So we'll take a break. Lots more to get into here. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can send your thoughts and questions in, uh, and we will hear from Rick at speaking post-practice as well. That's coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
2: Big opinions and good bets. It's The People Show with Bik Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance here, live from the Kintech studio. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we'll hear from Rick Talkett at some point in this segment, as he spoke to the media again following the Canucks second consecutive day of practice uh, ahead of playing Carolina tomorrow, kicking off a five game road trip out of the all star break uh, are the Canucks and um, you know, lots to dig into uh, from what you saw at practice over the last couple of days with how the Canucks are configured and, you know, I know when we were doing it in the the lineup notes section of the whiteboard dranser you mentioned asking Rick Tockett, hey, all of a sudden you sub in Kuzmenko, who as we all know did not have the trust to put it mildly of Rick Tockett, you bring in a former Selkie runner-up, very reliable player in Lindholm and put him in that spot and all of a sudden you've got Pedersen and Mikheyev and Lindholm on your second line together, your quote-unquote second line, and you you asked him, like, hey, does that open up a lot of possibilities for you in terms of matchups? And it, I had to laugh because it was a very enthusiastic yes from Rick Tocket You can tell that the puzzle guy is really really excited to have this additional piece to play with. And you know, I was thinking yeah, he, we're, he's, go got the,
2: uh, he's got the he's got the Catan expansion set. Yes, now. exactly. He got the <laughs> expansion set. No, nope, that's that's the perfect way to put it.
0: And he's really excited to get into it and dig into it and see what it's all about. But you know, it did strike me looking at the lines because we're so used to. Miller and Bess are handling the matchup role for this team this season. But I think if you just showed these lines on paper to uh, you know, a, a hockey fan from another city who doesn't watch the Canucks every game and said, who's gonna go up against Tufts here, they would say, oh, Pedersen, McKay, and Lindholm. Like, those, those three guys with a really positive defensive reputation for a reason. And, you know, Rick Tockett talked about, oh, moving guys around, getting them soft matchups. You know, maybe we get that line soft matchups. Maybe we get the Miller and Besser line soft, soft matchups. But I'm really curious to see how this shakes out. And, and more than that, how long does it take before we are talking about that trio as the no-doubt-about-it matchup trio for the Canucks?
2: yeah and you know it's interesting because i mean make no mistake and i don't think people would like this club believes very strongly that the way that jt miller plays in terms of the heavy game that he can Mm -hmm. bring with the with the skill level that he evidently has you know makes him a unique piece and you know I, i mean dating back to Alvine, talking about like, hey, what was your reaction to watching the Stanley Cup playoffs? And this was during the offseason. And he said, well, one thing I think we have is we have, you know, a big heavy centerman uh, of the sort that can match up potentially with um, with a team like Vegas. And, you know, he was referring to Miller. So, yep. you know, I, I, I don't think people should discount how much this organization believes in, um, you know, and and with good reason. I mean, there's been no reason not to, uh, but believes in JT Miller's ability to handle that role. Uh, He's been in it all year. The team has done nothing but win. You know, I I think the Lindholm add to that line gives them the flexibility to play with different iterations uh, of their matchup strategy. But I don't think this club's just going to go away from what's worked for them to this point.
0: Well, and I thought Batch made a really good point as well that you know, especially on the road, we're going to see a little bit of how Talkett wants to play it, but it's going to be fascinating to see how the opposing teams go after it, right? Because even if you think you know, maybe there was like we all we can all remember you know the stretch where. Miller and that unit going up against top lines and the results weren't great, but I still don't know that opposing teams are going to be like hunting that matchup necessarily. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, we re- that's the matchup we really want to isolate and that's a pretty good position for Rick Tockett to be in, right? There's no clear kind of soft underbelly of the forward group, I don't think anymore, where the opposing coach is going to say, okay, that's when we have to get our top line out. That's the matchup we feel really good about. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see from the opposing coach's point of view, how they handle things uh, against this new look Canucks lineup.
2: Yeah, we'll get a decent sense of it right off the hop here, too, because, you know, this Boston team has occasionally fattened up their forward ranks, right? We've seen them occasionally, like obviously their first option is to roll with the coil line between Marchand and Pasternak, Mm -hmm. but occasionally they'll fatten it up and throw JVR onto that line and play Marchand, you know, with like DeBrusque and um, Zaka a little further down the lineup. So like, they reconfigure what they do sometimes based on the opponent. So right off the hop, we're going to have a chance to see one team that tends to be a little bit flexible with their forward deployment. How does Montgomery and the Bruins decide to attack this Canucks team. Likewise, you know, in Carolina, tomorrow, you know, the Hurricanes have Aho, who they often throw at Tufts, but they also have Jordan Stahl, who yep. they often throw at Tufts. Um, it, you know, I don't know that we're going to get a lot from Brindamore, because there's two options for him, and both of them, you know, sort of change places here and there. Like, he might go Aho versus Pedersen, Jordan Stahl versus Miller, simply because of like a physical matchup thing as opposed to his assessment of anything mm-hmm. else, right? I want the big center against the big center. I want, um, you know, the faster um, gritty guy against the faster gritty guy, right? So that that could be Brindamore's approach there. I don't know that we'll learn as much from that. So that Boston game to me is going to be really interesting in that I think it could tell us a fair bit about how teams, like, Does a team like the Bruins feel like their best shot against the Canucks is to fatten their forward lines and their forward combos to handle Vancouver's forward depth?
0: I think another interesting thing, because we're talking about it kind of from a, you know, between games and game to game perspective. Okay, who's going to get the matchup in this game? What do we see? But I think within the game, the flexibility is going to be really fascinating as well. And how much, you know, talk, I know, spoke yesterday at length about situational hockey. Right. And I don't think he was meaning from one game to the next. I think he was meaning shift to shift in a game. You have versatile pieces like he listed all the guys that can line up at center who can also play wing that they have and I'm really curious to see I mean I think Tocchet is the kind of coach who will embrace that you know what I mean who will say okay I'm not I'm not going to throw my lines in a blender necessarily out of panic but I can do these different uh, tweaks here or there whether it's because we're trailing you know whether it's because we're protecting a lead It's going to be really fascinating to see how much they do that as well, right? Whether it's, hey, we got to load up the lotter line because we're chasing or whatever it is, you know, get Lindholm out there with other line mates for a key defensive zone draw. You know, it's those in-game adjustments and those in-game modifications that I think are going to be huge from Talkett's perspective too.
2: Yeah, yeah, and yes, uh, the flexibility side is going to be fascinating too as, you know, an if the Canucks end up moving things around a little further, right? Like, I, mm. I feel like in, to some extent, the, the Lindholm, like what Lindholm brings could matter more, I think, in the event that the Canucks go away from this configuration. Like, if this works, you plug Lindholm in for Kuzmenko and, you you know, you get a little bit more control from your second line, maybe maybe at the expense of a little bit of, like, offensive dynamism, and, you know, you're you're raring to go continuing to play the way this team did in January when they began to look like a real contender. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if that's the case, then Lindholm's just going to be a good fit in the top six. It's, it's almost like if this first try doesn't work, and then, you know, then we see the Canucks experiment with, okay, you know, are we going to try Miller on the wing with somebody? Like, right. are we going to try a Miller-Lindholm? Like, you want to talk about a tough minutes line. Are we going to try Miller-Lindholm-Besser? Yep. And throw that at Tufts, right? Because that sounds nightmarish for <laughs> opponents, right? Um, are you going to try Lindholm with Garland Joshua, right? And and you know maybe if maybe you have a fourth line then that's something like Lafferty with um, Bluger and Suter, um, and you can throw Hoglander into the top six. I mean, there's all sorts of different iterations that we could see once you get beyond this first look. So for me, the versatility question for Lindholm almost comes more into play as the season goes on and as the club experiments and in the event of injury and as things happen, right? Yeah because right now it's like plug and play, Lindholm's taking Kuzmenko's spot. This is sort of the first iteration, and in some ways the most straightforward. The the complexity of the Lindholm ad, I think will become apparent when Rick Tockett has those you know midnight whiteboard sessions with Adam Foote, trying to figure out an answer to a specific problem. And, and the fact that the master key, the master key, as it were, right, <laughs> is going to be a potential answer, especially if he plays as well in Vancouver as he has in the recent past in Calgary.
0: Well, and, you know, another layer to that is if they do go out and add another forward, right? Like we've talked about, OK, do they have one more pickup? Is it on the blue line or is it size at forward? And, you know, if they do opt for another guy like i don't know if, I, don't, I don't think they're going to go out and add it, somebody who's a clear cut top 6 caliber player but a middle 6 which you know as you always say is the nice way of saying the third line but the funny <laughs> thing but the funny thing about that is well their third line's really good so if you go and add a third line player are they kind of just naturally going to be bumped up into the middle six, or are you gonna bump them down to the fourth line? And then that brings a whole new list of okay, potential possible configurations and you know your duos and who you can uh who you can play together. So I do feel like you're right. Like this is the first iteration. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what the results are, who's playing well, who's playing well together, all of that. But then you could get another wild card thrown in the mix, uh come you know, before the trade deadline at some point as well, which Look, I I I love seeing and like witnessing the process of talk it work through these kinds of things. So I think that would be a a really fun thing to see if it does happen.
2: Yeah, you know, I was thinking a little bit today about how, um, (laughs) about how the Canucks. So. Sorry, what were I, I literally just lost my train of thought mid sentence. What were you um, what were you talking about? <laughs> if they about, add somebody else.
0: If they add somebody else, right? Like they add like a third line right. caliber player, but you're not breaking up that third line in all likelihood unless it's a really well, yeah, big so move, so right? Now I remember it. Yeah.
2: I I was thinking today about how like come what may, right? Um, whether whether it's a big trade, whether it's a, a loss, whether it's a proactive change after a win, um Whoever gets scratched, I mean in the event of thermonuclear war, one one standard remains. Joshua Bluger yeah. Garland.
0: Seriously. <laughs> like what That's... would it what would it have to take? I mean other than they go cold or they stop they stop being good, but they've been so good. Like you can yes. move anything else around anywhere on the board, I'd be quicker to break up Miller and Besser and they've played basically all the whole season together than I would that third line at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, people have been trying to, like, and rather painfully, in my opinion, come up with different nicknames for that line. Yes. And it's like, maybe they should be the cockroach line because they'll outlive us all. <laughs> um, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, no, it's just, that is what it is. And, um, you know, I, I think there's good reason for it, right? Like, that line's been fantastic. 100%. They've been, they've been Vancouver's best and most consistent five-on-five line, and not by a little bit, all season long. Well, like, and
0: I think, I mean... W- that line could really stand to benefit from the Lindholm acquisition as well, right? Because they were really, as much as we call them the third line, and they have that kind of traditional third line makeup where they're not clear-cut top six guys, they were playing as the second line for a long stretch there, or at very least like 2A or 2B, you know what I mean, after the first line in terms of their five-on-five minutes. But if they do, if the Canucks do establish two real functioning, you know, performing top six lines we're talking about the matchup game and okay who does uh, who do opposing coaches throw their best guys out well it's not if if the Lindholm Patterson line and the Miller Besser line are both clicking the Bluger line as well as they're playing is going to be an afterthought to a degree for opposing coaches right so that means they could see an increase uh in some of those really favorable matchups and and be put in a position to do even more damage than they, than they've been able to already
2: yeah I'm I, I'm Maybe I mean it's hard to do more damage than they've done. Like they've done,
0: truly, <laughs> well, they'll be right? in a position like to it's... sustain it at any rate.
2: Yeah, but I mean I think they can sustain yeah. it because it's built on, uh, like an, a, a controlling play at an elite level. And, and you know I think, I think we're in a unique spot with that line, right? In that we what, well, so what you don't often see, and this is something I think the Canucks may have going on right now. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to surprise anyone to hear that I'm like a little bit higher on Connor Garland than market and I <laughs> nope. think the market's turned around on Connor Garland, right? Like I think people appreciate a lot more what he does now than they did 2 months ago. Sure. But I mean, in terms of this guy's ability to produce 5 on 5, right? And and yes, the goals have been hit and miss for him this season. But his primary assist rate since he's become a Canuck has been through the roof. His overall point production in his three years in Vancouver is, you know, like low end top line, not top six, low end top line level. Um, You know, and he drives play. You know, I kind of think that there's at least an argument to be made that Garland might be uh, a top line caliber player. And the thing about top line caliber players is we almost never see them get stuck with this level of discipline on a third line. Like mm-hmm. usually if you've got a guy playing the way Garland has played for the Canucks all year, they get moved up the lineup. Right. But in this instance, and I think it's partly because of his size, I think it's partly because um, we haven't seen him really develop chemistry with Miller or Patterson mm-hmm. and they're going to be stapled as center one and center two. I think for, for those sort of, like almost happenstance, like unique reasons, Garland remains sort of a fixture at, at third line right wing. And and that's a real, like, you know, we don't have large samples of players this good playing this low in a lineup for like 100 minutes, or sorry, for like 1,000 minutes. But he's going to come up on that over the next week. and And it's a real rarity. Now, the other question that I have is, you know what if what if, in addition to having a you know a top line caliber player on their third line, the Canucks also have a top six caliber guy in Niels Hoaglander
3: playing, playing their on fourth their
2: line. fourth line <laughs> yeah. right and and if you're if you're going to like stand athwart the inevitability of regression and yell no, well, having players that good playing in supporting roles might be a reason to think that this Canucks team can continue to outkick their coverage can continue to shoot as, as, you know, historically efficiently as they have to this point. Um, am I buying that? You know, it, I'm, I'm certainly going to say that it reduces my confidence in the inevitability of regression marginally, but that's about it. Like, you know, it's, it, you've got like four players shooting 20%. I, I think that's going to be hard to manage uh, going forward as the sample expands, but You know, it it is a real strength of this team. um, And I think a real, like, differentiating strength that they've been able to rely on all season long. Like, I don't think we should undersell that, you know, the the logic of bringing in Lindholm, in my view, was like, Patterson and Miller need more help at the top of the lineup. And, you know, the, the bottom six, anyway, has been a crucial, like, maybe the, aside from Demko, the crucial injury in Vancouver, or <laughs> crucial engine mm. in Vancouver's success to this point like i really think it's one of the biggest edges they're going to have over everybody over the balance of the season and going into this play, into the playoffs that is unless they end up needing those guys to come up the lineup and and sort of stabilize things which to this point they haven't needed and maybe the Lindholm acquisition helps them avoid that
0: well and having players like Connor Garland or Niels Hoglander who are you know qualified to be farther up a lineup but are playing in your bottom six I mean that's kind of a hallmark of a contender right like think about uh think about Nick Wah playing fourth line for the Vegas Golden Knights and I'm not comparing either of those players in terms of what they can bring to Nick Waugh necessarily but my point is you know one of the it's
2: totally fair comparison
0: one of the hallmarks of a Stanley Cup contender is like other other teams look at it and say wow I can't believe that guy is on their fourth line or I can't believe that guy is on their third line and you're right that is a strength a legitimate strength of the Canucks this year. I think it also makes it fascinating having those players in the bottom six because it's easy to say, like, hey, go out and get some size and some physicality for the bottom six. But, you know, there's really only one obvious name that's like an easy take out of the lineup, and that would be Niels Amon, but he's playing center. So you would, in that situation, you would want it to be a center. Now, you could drop Pew Suter down potentially, but that means somebody's going up and playing in your top six. So you want them to be, you know, presumably an upgrade over Pew Suter, which is not necessarily easy to do. So don't get me wrong. Like, it's a fantastic thing that they have going, having that caliber of players in the bottom six. I do think it makes the logistics and of – Finding that marginal upgrade at forward still a little bit more tricky, right? Because you have to consider what the domino effect is going to be and who's potentially getting uh, taken out of the lineup in that situation.
2: Yeah, except that except that right now, if you added one more forward, the guy who would you know be most likely to come out sneels him on.
0: Right, but then you have to have someone who has who's playing center, so it just makes it a little. No, you know what, what I mean? What
2: do you mean? You have you have s- like six centermen in the lineup. Sure. Okay. Right now, Suter, right. Suter, like just, just count them out. Suter, Miller, Pedersen, Lindholm. That's just in your top six. That's four centermen in your top six right now. I get that. Plus, I mean, plus on but we'll subtract him so he doesn't count. Plus Bluger. And then, and then Lafferty can play some center in a pinch, and, and Dakota Joshua can take some draws for you in a pinch. That's that's seven guys. But I my, mean,
0: my point is, if you go out and trade for Winger X, and you say, okay, we'll take him on out of the lineup, and let's say bring Pugh Suter down to the fourth line, then presumably Winger X is stepping into Suter's place at the top of the lineup. You know what I mean? So they have to be a player that you feel credible being in that position if for, for it to make sense to go out and get them.
2: Right. Yeah, but I mean, we're we're in relatively uncharted ground, viewing Pew Suter as credible in that sort of position in the lineup, right?
0: Yeah, Pew Suter's just so awesome
2: (laughs) (laughs) that I believe he can do it more than Player X out there. You don't you don't have to sell me on my guy, bro. (laughs) Uh, But no, Pew Suter can do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He he really can, though. He's it's fantastic. fantastic. All right, but um. But, yeah, no, I'm just, you know, I, I do think it's worth noting the overall, um, like, I still, I still would love to see the Canucks add size. Like, I still would love to see them add a Greenway type on the wing, uh-huh. uh, especially if that player could, you know, play some net front on the power play. Like, I think that's still an area that I'd like to see the club address a little bit. Um, I think it matters for this team. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think Batch is wrong, like in the last segment when he talked about viewing defense as, as the bigger need. Uh, I'm guessing Dom's mad at us. Dom is so mad at us. We didn't
0: get a chance to hear from Talk, but I promise we will play uh, in the next segment of Rick Talkett's uh, commentary after practice today. So, final segment coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. You're so worried about time on when we're getting to break, but then you play the super long rejoiner that we don't want to cut off coming back. Tom, milking the time, eating up the clock. Tom asked me to do it once a show. So. <laughs> Welcome back to Caduck Stock here, SportsNet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintech Studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express out Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dumbarlumber.com. Uh, somebody texts in in support of me and Drance against you, Dom. Does Dom also tell Freeman and Merrick to hurry and wrap it up? Yeah. Dude, they're rolling with the conversation. Let it breathe. Do you? Yeah. How do they react?
2: Uh, Similar to us? No, they're actually very supportive of my directions.
0: I I am so skeptical, so deeply
2: skeptical of that. Actually, that that just speaks to your ego, honestly. Actually, I have free roam over, uh, I have creative freedom over 32
4: Thoughts. A lot of
2: times uh, we'll have an addition or some sort of amendment, and freedom will just be like, do whatever you think sounds best.
4: Total editorial freedom on my Congratulations. That's a, like, that's a powerful uh, post like right there. Those,
2: th- this is like one of those press conferences that actors sometimes give, and they're like, yeah, and I ad-libbed the whole thing. <laughs> and then, like, their joint presser with the director and con is, like, super tense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the screenwriter's sitting at home like, wait, what? I wrote all those lines. What are you talking about? You didn't ad-lib that. Uh Anyways, it is the final segment of the show here on Canucks Talk. Uh, as mentioned, do we have the talk and audio? We're good to go? All right, here is Rick Talkett speaking to the media after the team practiced uh, in Carolina today.
3: Rick, what do you think about the group today?
5: I think it's been a pretty good two days. You know, we've, we've accomplished a lot. I didn't want to cramp too much in, but some system play. Um, only wanted to go 45, but we had power play, so it was a little bit longer than I wanted to, but we'll have an optional tomorrow and be ready for Carolina.
3: I talked to Ian Cole about what the key is to continuing to play the way you did on the back side of the break. Um, what, what for you is that? He talked a lot about preparation.
5: Yeah, I think preparation, discipline. You know, discipline is a, a thing where not be not every likes it, but you got to love to do. You know, that's what we we want to do. We want to love discipline. I know it's it's hard, um, but for our team with these, you know, the back half of this season here, um, you know, we get a lot of publicity. And which is great to a point. I think we we just got to make sure that we don't buy into this hype. That we in this room know who we are, how we play, and we want to be a disciplined team. So that's really for the, the message for the second half.
3: And you're referring to discipline in the sense of like their focus and the way they approach each game and each practice.
5: I'm talking about everything on the ice, off the ice, the way we think, you know, our system, um, being unselfish, um, you know, going on the ice early, working on your game, uh, eating properly. I mean. That's the discipline. If you want to be, uh, if you want to be go go far in the playoffs, uh, if you want to make the playoffs, if you want to win, you have to go through these things. And, and all the teams that win are the most disciplined.
3: After practice, we noticed a lot of one-on-one opportunities and some extra coaching. What were you focusing on there?
5: Uh, just uh, for me early on, just just a, a shot release with some of the forwards, um, scenarios. Um, you know, obviously, play, you know, P.D. playing with uh, Lindy uh, Lindholm talking about some stuff uh, that can make us better. Just a lot of one-on-one hes That's the way we are. And then we get home, we got the twins, and obviously is going to be on this trip. So we got a lot of hands on deck. You
4: spent a lot of time talking to Petey. I wondered if you were negotiating his next contract. Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. yeah. I'm trying to, well, if I did, I want 10%, you know. Um, was,
4: uh, I, without revealing everything, but well, um, honestly, what was that it's, about?
5: It's just about him uh, playing with Lindholm. Uh, some scenarios, some power play scenarios, um, some stuff going for, for uh, forward. I'm asking his opinion on our practices. you know it was a, it was a bunch of different little things but it was a lot of uh, with him and Linholm playing together.
4: And uh, what do you think of Mikhaayev's play His scoring is obviously dried up lately uh, before the break are you concerned?
5: No, I'm not concerned with the scoring. I, this is this is a big. I think this is a big. I'm playing with these two guys, and I got to see some forechecking from him. I got to see some winning some battles, and and I think coming up with loose pucks when you're playing with those two kind of players like that. So I want him to drive the play, especially as a, a top forechecker for us, um, because you know when you, you know you should get Jim juice. You know he's got he's got guys that have the puck a lot, that can hold on to pucks and can make plays. So you know this is a this is a. This is a test for Mick. I mean, i got to see some good stuff out of him here on this line.
4: I know that uh, you've tried different guys. And, in, for instance, Pew Suter right now is playing the wing. How, how how anxious are you to find some guys who can play on the wings on those top two lines and give you what you're looking for?
5: No, it's not that I'm anxious. You know, But my eyes are wide open here. I mean, there's a job open here. Um, so, you know, people have to be ready. You know, I talked to Garland the other day. I mean, uh, I don't want to break that third line, but maybe Garland... You know, you might be ready for, for active duty on that. Who knows? I, I don't know. Um, but when you play with top players, you got to come up with loose bucks. You got to go to the net. You got to go through the middle. Uh, you got to chase box downs and you got to be good wall guys um, when you play with that, you know. So um, that's what we're looking for.
4: It's. Uh, I know that he went out of the lineup not long after you took over as coach, Mikhail. Yeah. Uh, it's about a year now since he had the surgery and a lot of times in ACL, yeah, guys six months later, they're fine or back to where they were. Some people, it takes a year or more. Do you think he's still working his way back? Do you think there's another gear that he can find?
5: Yeah, I think, that, I, I think for me, um, when you have an ACL, I've heard there's different signs to it. I think it's a little longer than people think it is. I think, what's it, the eight, nine month? I think it's longer. I actually was talking to Tom Wilson who had the same knee problem in, um, in Washington uh, at the All-Star game. And it's, uh, you know, he's starting to feel better now. So, um, you know, I think he came back fairly early, seven, eight months. So all fairness to Mick, he came, you know, he's around that eight, was it eight month? I can't remember. So, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a little bit more time for him to get acclimated, but I think there's there's about ten percent more there speed I think, and he's, he's starting to I think I think I can feel it starting to come, um, I really do.
3: You seem to have fairly open communication. Is that something you check in on at certain points in the season, um, how they're feeling? Yeah, especially when you're coming back from such a big injury.
5: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, you know. I mean, he came in my office two weeks ago and said, Hey, coach, how can I play better? What, you know, what can you expect from me? So that's the communication I want. I want not, not only do I have to go search for him. He wants to search out with the coach's opinion of it. That's what coaching is all about. You know, whether it's my door or one of the other coaches, you've got to be able to have that one on one kind of conversations with the guys and even talk about other stuff, too. It's not always about hockey. That
0: is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media after the team practiced in Carolina today. Of course, they'll play the Hurricanes tomorrow evening, kicking off this five-game road trip out of the All-Star break. And some interesting tidbits in there. Uh, From Rick Tockett, Drancer, you know, the line that stands out to me near the beginning of that presser, we got to make sure we don't buy into the hype that we know who we are. And we have talked a lot, very rightfully so, I think, about the job that Rick Tockett has done as a coach this year. So has everyone else in the market. So have people around the NHL, because it's been such an impressive job uh, of coaching and guiding this team. And, you know, the challenge... I don't want to say it's going to increase necessarily, but there's going to be new challenges, I think, down the stretch. And, you know, somebody texted in earlier in the show, said, guys, one thing I'm curious to see in the playoffs is if the Canucks can amp it up even more. It seems Tockett has them buying in and playing hard already. Do they physically have any more to go uh, to give, as it always seems necessary in the spring and I just think the job of the the job that Tockett does for between now and the playoffs, and then into the playoffs of well, as managing the kind of ups and downs of this team, keeping them focused, keeping them disciplined, as he said elsewhere in that presser and then trying to get them uh, to amp it up even more once the playoffs roll around like that's a new challenge it's going to be fascinating to see how he manages it he taught he's talked a lot about you know the practice schedule and keeping it fresh physically but it's a mental challenge too now he's aced all of those challenges when it comes to making sure the mentality of the team is on point and I- i'm very interested to see how he tackles this one too
2: yeah i mean I'm also curious to see what resolution he got on the Pedersen negotiations. Ten <laughs> percent. <10%. laughs> it's pretty. That's a pretty significant commission. Man. Woo!
0: It's like you better really be increasing. <laughs> you better be doing a way better job
2: than Pat Personne If I'm giving you ten percent, ten percent. My goodness. I mean, maybe stick to coaching if you're trying to charge like that. Um, no. The uh, yeah. I mean. The ramping up in the playoffs. The thing is, is that the atmosphere, like the environment, calls for it. Yeah, you know whether or not whether or not the club is successful in the playoffs. This team's effort level, the line that they'll have to play on, and they will play on. I mean, straight up, they will play on it. Like, there's no. These are hockey players, man. Yeah, these are hockey players. Like, come what may, whatever you think of this group, whatever you think of their ceiling like these are nhl players you are going to see a level of reckless abandon in, in terms of the this team's compete level uh come playoff time that you you just can't like you cannot see it in the regular season uh, outside of you know certain stretches right like you see glimpses of it you see moments where it's like hey this feels you know mm-hmm. it's tight <laughs> kind of like a playoff game like <laughs> The fact is, is that a real playoff game feels different. Always, yeah. always, and forever. And you're going to see that the moment the puck drops in the postseason for this team. No doubt in my mind. Take it to the bank.
0: Well, and Curtis Olin texted in, you know, most or all of these players have never played a playoff game with the home crowd. And, of course, you and, yeah. and I have talked so much about this, right? It's been 2015 was the last time they played playoff games at Rogers Arena. Now, any in, if that drought ending in any way was always going to produce... An incredible atmosphere at Rogers Arena for puck drop of Game One, right? Oh, Whatever format, awesome. but can't wait. I also I think the fact that it's going to come, and we'll see how the final thirty three games go here. But the fact that it's not going to be, you know, hey, they're the eighth seed going up against a prohibitive favorite. The fact that they're going to go in with home ice, that they're going to be, you know, they made a big trade ahead of the deadline. They are a Stanley Cup contender like that's just going to ratchet it up even more. Like that is, again, the the atmosphere was always going to be phenomenal and fantastic because as you said, it's a Stanley Cup playoff game. It's, you know, a, a drought ending in this market for fans to be able to go to it, but like this is this, this isn't just, "Hey, I'm so happy we're back in the playoffs." This is like, "Let's go on a run here." And I think that's going to make it even more I mean more amazing, more entertaining, but more intense as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, this season's or there's, expectations. Going, there's, there's expectations. There's real right. expectations. That's exactly what I was about to say. There's This team's going to go into the playoffs with expectations, although, you know, and I think it's important to note this. Honestly, I, I know people are going to be like, oh, wet blanket drance, but there's so much season left to play out. Yep. You know, the season is long enough that every take has time to be right. Um, <laughs> it's like one thing that I've increasingly thought about. Um, and, and every take has time to be wrong, too. Um There's so much season to go that, you know, I'm not worried about this team raising their level in the playoffs. I'm not worried about the atmosphere being incredible at Rogers Arena. That stuff's for sure. What this team's going to look like, what their expectations are going to be, how we're talking about, you know, this team. I mean, there's a million different scenarios here, right? This team could drop to second in the Pacific because the Oilers stay hot and be hosting the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, mm-hmm. with Shea Theodore and, and Jack Eichel back, and they could open as dogs, you know, in terms of their playoff series probability going in. They could also win the President's Trophy and be hosting Nashville in the first round as, like, minus 175 favorites in the first round, right? A team that they've really controlled play against and beaten pretty soundly every time they've played this season. Um, you know, they they could hobble into the playoffs with a key injury. They could be at absolute full strength, and make an additional ad between now and then. So, you know, I get that we're looking ahead, but in terms of setting our expectations, like, so much context yeah. is stripped out. I think this team with 30, what, three games to go has given themselves a real shot to go into the playoffs with the most positive possible scenario, but there's still a lot to earn before we get there.
0: And, you know, speaking of not... Exactly knowing what this team might look like, and you know we are we are kind of having the conversation about the forward depth, what it might mean for an additional ad, and you know Rick Talkett speaking in that media scrum the, that we the heard the Garland thing, eh? Well, the Garland hey, thing my ears also even up just up there too. even just framing it as there's a job available, right? And I think he <clears> was <throat> referring specifically to. Uh, the Pugh-Suter spot. And I don't think it was a criticism of Pew suter but, you know, just saying... No, like, how can you criticize yeah. Pew suter How dare you? No one would no ever even do even do one. No, one, no
2: one would dare.
0: <laughs> I won't allow <laughs> it. Uh, no, but it was just... I thought it was very, you know, typical talk. It very frank and honest and, and candid and direct. Like, yeah. yeah, that spot's open. And there's a bunch of candidates. I thought it was fascinating that he spoke with Connor Garland about it. And I mean, even... Uh, look, I don't think Linus Carlson is going to be all of a sudden surprise top six uh, feature of this playoff off run for the Canucks but even you know I know what Tocket was saying yesterday of hey yeah he's he's here he has a chance to practice with us he's got a chance to show us something he does some things I like there's some things he wants to work on but yeah this is an opportunity for him and it feels like Tocket is still very much keeping his options open and kind of looking for the final piece of the puzzle or one of the final pieces of the puzzle potentially on that line uh, next to Miller and Besser
2: yeah yeah and I mean you know, Garland being the next guy up makes so much sense in that we have seen Hoaglander get a look there. Yep. You know what I mean? We've seen Suter lo- get a look there. Like, we've seen various iterations of it, but that's one we just haven't seen. Like, we haven't seen Garland play, you know, with, with Miller and and um, certain with, with either of Vancouver's top two centers, aside from the first two games of the year before Mikheyev came back. So, you know, makes sense that that would be the one he'd spotlight. Because that's the one he doesn't have a sample to evaluate on. Yeah. Like that's 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 the piece of the puzzle where it's like that's an unknown, and you know, puzzle guy Rick Tockett is thinking. He hasn't flipped over
0: the uh, the piece of the jigsaw puzzle yet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't even know if it's a border piece. (laughs) Um, And then the McKeough thing. Now, this was like a hobby horse of mine all summer. Remember, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was like this takes time, right? And I liked Tockett. Sometimes talk, it will say something that sounds simple, but it actually, I think, betrays the depth of research that he's done about it, right? So, like, it, it, in talking about returning from a torn ACL, right, I'll often cite that the Europeans think it's two years, yep. right? And, and North Americans tend to think it's 12 to 18 months. But there is a split, and his first answer right off the hop is, you know, there's different science on it. Right. And it's like, I guarantee you, he knows what I'm, I guarantee you, he's talking about the same study gap that I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I guarantee it. Like, I'm, I'm certain of it. And that's, you know, I think part of what's made Talk It so effective. Right. He, I think, is putting the work in, right? Putting the work in from a like intellectual curiosity standpoint. Um, you know, above and beyond what you'd expect. And uh, and that's commendable. In terms of the McKay of discussion, though, it's just amazing, right? Because he came in and that line was going so well and scoring so frequently that I feel like we just kind of delayed the discussion. Yeah. Even though, from a play driving perspective, it's been there, you know, really ever since he first sustained that injury in his Canucks preseason debut. Uh, You know, last October, like it's been a long time where I think Mikheyev's been a little bit compromised relative to the speed and burst and play driving ability that he has and that he's shown for much of his career. Um, And I'm uh, honestly, he's at an age. uh, I'm still confident it's there. I just, you know, I'm curious to see what it looks like over the course of the season and hopeful to see hopeful to see that maybe like maybe the break was helpful to him. Right. Yeah. I'm hopeful that it is. But you'll again, the thing with Mikheyev is, you'll know, like when that guy's moving at full speed, he's a bullet train. He's a superhero. He flies out there. It's the loudest possible skill set. You cannot miss it when it's there. And if he just looks fast and not like one of the fastest human beings you've ever seen skate, then, you know, it's a little bit different. For
0: him and you know talk did leave the door open while acknowledging the medical stuff with uh, with Mikheyev he did leave the door open a little bit like hey he's got to do these things in this role right so it might not just be one job that's up for grabs I think he left that door open but yep. as we've talked about I also think Mikheyev going to get a lot of runway to prove that he can play that role right there's a reason they went out and identified him and signed him when they did you know well before mm-hmm. they looked to be this type of competitive team and I think it's just, if if he gets back to not even 100%, but really close to that level of effectiveness, it's such a clean fit playing with Pedersen and Lindholm in terms of what he can do and the defensive responsibility of that group. I think they're going to give him an awful lot of time to prove that he can do that role. Now, maybe you get close to the playoffs or you're starting to, you know, you have to have that conversation at some point about different options there. But somebody earlier when we were talking said, I think Mikheyev would move down the lineup faster than Pugh Suter. I don't think so. Not not least because Suter's a center, so you could move him down to the fourth line. But also, I just think they're really invested uh, in seeing if McKayev can do that role. And, you know, speaking to about Tockett putting in the work as a coach, uh, definitely a hallmark of what we've seen from him so far in Vancouver. And as you said off the top of the show, and he discussed a little bit there in the presser, you know, 10 minutes on the ice with Elias Pettersson after practice, talking about playing with Lindholm, talking about different scenarios on the, on the power play, talking about, you know, getting his opinion on practices and whether that's like the schedule for practices or what they're doing, whatever the case is, but putting in the work, putting in that FaceTime with one of his star players, uh,
2: ahead of a big road trip here. Well, I'll tell you what Pettersson wants that. Yeah. <laughs> like that's something Pettersson wants. Um, historically anyway so yeah no i mean it, it, it is it's not common to have like i've seen coaches go around have a bunch of one-on-one chats but that was an extended conversation today uh at center ice um and you know to hear talk it explain what it was about or at least in part right that that it's really on the minutiae mm-hmm. uh, of what he wants to see from a new look line i mean that's fascinating insight from the canucks head coach and now we'll give him the line share of the credit if that line pops off yeah. right away
0: <laughs> it was all it was that conversation with Tockett that did yeah. it right there at center ice with uh with Elias Pettersson uh we'll get a chance to see it in action or at least some version of this Canucks lineup in action for the first time tomorrow in Carolina uh Dom I'm getting out so on time here I'm absolutely crushing it punctual, punctual Jamie that's me see the what's one that up? matters Just being punctual the one that matters I know what to do
4: Good for you. Thank Good. you, Tom. Thank, I thank you appreciate for doing that. your
0: job. <laughs> By the way, we'll have Yannick tomorrow since there's no. People Ooh, show. very exciting! Yay! Yannick Hansen on the show tomorrow. We'll set up the game of Carolina. Well, Jamie, be on time. Yeah, yes, I will. Of course, for I will. That segment. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow here on Sportsnet 650.